0: Welcome to the At A Total Loss podcast, where lost moms candidly talk about stillbirth, baby loss, grief, survival, and all things in between. I'm Catherine. My first child Brody died at full term and was stillborn in January of 2022. I literally thought the sadness was going to kill me, and while trying to survive, I reached out to lost moms to connect with others who knew how I felt. It was these conversations that saved me, and to this day, they still do. We discuss our babies' life with grief. We even laugh. A lot, actually. It is my hope that hearing our stories will help you realize that you are not alone in any of this, and maybe even serve as a guide to finding light in the dark. So get comfortable and grab some tissues as we discuss this crazy life after baby death that has left us all at a total loss. <laughs>
1: Those balloons are cute. What's happening? Oh, it was Quinn's birthday on the weekend. Oh, nice. How old did she turn? Yeah. Four. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's weird. It is,
0: right? Well, you you and I have been talking and you speak of like your experiences like they were yesterday, but you just remember probably a little bit of the details, like not the tiny things, right? Like of his, her. No, it's like,
1: that. it's like still like it was yesterday.
0: Yeah. Wow!
1: Yeah, it like never really dulls that. I think like Anna's and hers. Like I can't remember the boys' details at all, but I like Anna's stuff and Quinn's stuff are so highly detailed. Still. Wow, how far apart in age are they? Um, like just over a year. Okay. Um, Anna was like May, uh, 2018, and Quinn was July, like first week of July. 2019.
0: So not that much time went by before you were jumping back into it and doing it again. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, girl. I mean, that's something that I found that a lot of us like immediately after giving birth, it's like, when can I try again? It was just like a crazy thing that we do. Um, For me, at least like in my ICU bed, I was like, can I try again? And the doctor's like, um, okay. But then like, when I got home, I was like, never want to do this again. Never, never. And then you just kind of get out of that. And then you try again and you jump right back into the trauma and you do it all over again. Right. So when- I like,
1: I remember like being like in the hospital holding Anna's body still. And like, I said to my husband, and I was like, I like, we need to have another baby. And I was like, I feel like this is the worst thing I could be saying like right now, but he totally agreed with me. And like, yeah, it's just like, you need it. Yeah. It's a different feeling. Like it, having the living boys, like birth was the last thing on my mind. Like, let's never do this again. <laughs> um, but with Anna, it was like, when can we do it?
0: Right. I think a lot of us do that. And we kind of check ourselves and think we're weird. But then when we all start talking to each other, like we did that, I did that too. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. like you're not that weird. Um, yeah. and you are one of the few that had a death and then was followed by a rainbow and a NICU, right? Like, I don't talk to yeah. many that that happens because everybody thinks like, oh, you you've done it, like you've had the rare thing happen. You have been that point six percent, and then your rainbow is expected to be easier, or you get that, you get that moment in the room that you didn't have, that you mm-hmm. look forward to, this vision that you have, like this do-over, so to speak. And then that didn't happen for either one of us. So mm-hmm. and and I want to get into that. So um, you listening, you know, you and I talk all the time. Like you know, like, we just kind of chat on Instagram and but we talk about like other things, you know, we the dark humor, the grief vibe is there. Like we just kind of like talk to each other and we just get it. We just get each other. So that's why, you know, we're, we're connecting on this, this, this zoom, but there's still so much that I want to learn. I still want to hear your story and Anna's story. Um, So what I like to do is to have you just kind of take the stage and go back as far as you want to, to help us set out the this, this story here and give us an insight into like your experiences and your perspectives. So we can kind of dive into what life has been like after that. So, and I also love to get Anna's story out there to the world, you know, for there to be forever. So take us back um, as far as you want to go and where your story starts. Okay.
1: So I have two living boys that were born before Anna. Um, they were five and three at the time um so they were like old enough to be super excited about a sibling um like saw the whole pregnancy and like my oldest he was like little when I had the second one so it was like the first time he was really involved in a pregnancy and then we found out it was a girl and that was going to be so new and like they were super excited about having a girl um i was super excited about having a girl i never thought i would have a daughter after having two boys (laughs) so like it was like this big fun exciting pregnancy um and we had also uh the year before lost my sister to an overdose so anna's pregnancy became like this thing that my entire family like wrapped in this joy of like okay like we've been through really rough times, we've dealt with grief this year. And now we have this thing to hold on to that is like, this hope packaged up. And it was gonna like, arrive for our whole family, it felt like not just for me, but like for my parents and everyone after already experiencing a loss. Um, And my other two pregnancies had been high risk, but for like, really weird random reasons, like nothing connected to me genetically. Um, and they weren't connected to each other. They were just poor luck. I'm like a one percenter to an extreme. Wow. Um, so, like my first son, um, I had polyhydraminose and it's where you carry too much fluid. Mm. So i I had enough fluid to carry triplets, and it was just him in there. Wow. <laughs> so I was monitored heavily. I was told there was a a risk of stillbirth, and it was like made to seem like, oh yeah, like there's a risk, but like not, we don't want to scare you. Like, we just want you to know it's there, but like, don't worry. Like we're so far past medically, like we'll, we'll take care of you. So like, even though there was a risk of it, I was never afraid of it happening because I just felt like society has come so far medically. Um, And then he was born without a soft spot. (laughs) So he actually had surgery at eight months old where they removed his entire skull. I don't think we've ever talked about this part.
0: (laughs) No girl. Uh,
1: Yeah. So they removed his entire skull and then piece it back together with artificial soft spots. So he was in the pick you for a week and then like a long recovery at home. Um, And then my second son, I almost, lost him like to stillbirth at 20 weeks, because I had a tear in my placenta. But I was traveling in Canada, for my grandpa's funeral. (laughs) So I like called my husband, we were about to get on the plane. And I called him and I was like, I just went to the bathroom before we were leaving for the airport. And I'm bleeding heavily, like we're on our way to the airport or to the hospital. So I got checked in there, they found out what was happening but I was 20 weeks so they were like we can't stop anything so like you're just gonna have to stay on bed rest at the hospital for a couple days internationally (laughs) and uh and luckily he just like survived and again it was like a risk of stillbirth and it still felt not real Mm. and so anyways and the rest of his pregnancy was totally fine he spent one or two nights in the NICU when he was born just because he had fluid in his lungs. Cause I had mm-hmm. a C-section. Mm-hmm. Um, so still like not a scary NICU experience. Like they were just like, Oh, he's fine. Like, we're just going to keep him here overnight while you're recovering from your C-section anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with Anna's pregnancy, uh, they were like, you're not really at risk for anything. So we're going to take you off of the high risk doctor and we're just going to like treat this like a normal pregnancy. So like all of them were high risk until Anna's and she was deemed like completely normal, perfectly healthy. And I was flying along through the pregnancy. It was my third pregnancy. Um, so I didn't really like, it was just so normal to me. And, um, and I was sick a lot during her pregnancy, but it was also just like, I've got two toddlers at home that are going to preschool and kindergarten. Like I'm just picking up all the germs. Um, so on her, on her birthday, on May 20th, um, I woke up in the middle of the night with like a pain in my stomach. And I just thought like, oh, it's just like preterm contractions or something. I'm far enough in my pregnancy. This is fine. I woke up in the morning really early and I remember like making my husband feel my head. Cause I was like, I'm, I'm really feeling sick. Like something is off. And he was like, you're not running a fever. You're almost like clammy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well it's not a fever. So like, I'm fine. <laughs> um, and then I went and had a bath to try and make myself feel better. And Anna was like, loved the baths um, and would always just like kick like crazy. And so I was in the bath for like 20 minutes, and I was reading a book, and I was it was like long enough into the bath where I stopped, and I was like, "Well, this is weird that she's not moving as much." Like I, but still not concerned. like just, oh, that's weird." Um so I got out of the bath and I did the like typical, like, oh, I'll have a glass of orange juice and lay on my side and wait for the movement to come. And I'm sure it will because nothing's ever gone wrong, even when stuff has gone wrong in the past. Um, and she still didn't, wouldn't kick. I felt stuff, but it wasn't kicking. Mm-hmm. And so it was really confusing in my brain trying to logically say like, no, everything's fine. Like nothing could possibly be wrong. Like you're overreacting. Um, so I decided to, uh, run to the clinic cause it was just down the street from us. And I like walked past my boys. They were playing in the loft. Sorry, <laughs> I'm going to cry cause I'm a crier. <laughs> this is the place
0: to do it girl. It's
1: okay. <laughs> I like didn't even wave to them, but I can still see it vividly in my head of, they were just playing. Like it was just a regular Sunday for everyone in my house. And my husband was on a call, so I walked by his offices at the front of the house with, like, glass doors. And I just waved at him, like, hey, I'll be right back. And I walked out the door. And that would have been the last time that anyone had seen me alive. Because um, we didn't know what was happening at the time. But I was, at that point, bleeding to death internally. Oh, um So I... <laughs> I know, I don't think we've gotten into, like, deep details. (laughs) Um, So I drove myself to the clinic, and I walked in the door, and I explained that, like, I wasn't feeling her normal movements, and they just looked at me, and they were like, you're too far along, like, we can't help you here, we're not prepared to, like, deliver your baby today. And I was like, I'm not prepared to deliver a baby today, (laughs) I'm not ready for that my mom is not in the country like everything is not i'm not ready for that and i still at that point even after having two high-risk babies was still in this mindset of like oh i'm too far along like the worst case scenario is that she's born today and she comes six weeks early like that's the worst case scenario um so i got in the car and i phoned my husband and we had like a long serious chat about how high of a bill going to the emergency room would be. <laughs> uh, and we debated me just coming home and waiting this out instead of going in. Um, and that is something that he still really struggles with because he's mm-hmm. like, I could have killed you. Like I could have killed you if I had told you to come home because we were talking about both options. hmm. Um, so anyways, I ended up deciding to go to the ER and it wasn't the ER that was closest to us because of all the, like (laughs) had to go to a specific hospital. So I drove like 30 minutes down a freeway and I talked to my mom the whole time and I was crying and I was upset and I just like, didn't want to deliver a baby and have her go to the NICU. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like it was just like my highest concern. Um, I, parked at the hospital. I walked in on the wrong side, had to walk down a long hallway, got in the elevator and went up to uh, the maternity wing. And I remembered thinking like, it's really quiet in here for a Sunday. Like I've been here enough to know it's not usually this quiet. Mm. Um, And I looked at the person at the front desk and I said, I think I might be in preterm labor. I'm having some contractions and her movements are slowing down. And they said, okay, well, just, and I said, like, I've never been in labor because I have C-sections. And so I'm not sure what's going on. Mm. And so they had me sign in and I was standing at the desk and I started writing my name and I didn't even finish my name before my hand just slid off the paper to the side. And I looked at my hand like, well, that was weird. Like I was so far behind processing everything that My body was reacting faster than my brain was reacting. Mm. So my hand slid off. I made eye contact with the nurse at the desk and I said, I think something's wrong. And I hit the floor. I just passed out. Um, And I was in and out of consciousness, a lot more in consciousness than they thought I should be. Um, And they had no one else delivering in that moment that day and the nurses afterwards were like every single nurse was like working on you and I got to talk to one of the nurses like two years after it happened and she still vividly remembered it and she was like you were the worst trauma we had had in so long
0: Holy shit.
1: And <laughs> it's a lot um and She said like there was so many little miracles and the biggest being that no one else was delivering. So literally every nurse on the unit came rushing to like the front. Then they rushed me down the hallway. Um, They found out that Anna had already died by the time I walked in the doors. So they couldn't save her. There was nothing they could do to save her. But um, at that point, they realized how uh, close to death I was. Um, so I lost as much blood as you can lose and still live. And even at that point, um, my OB said, he's never seen someone come that close and then recover. Um, so my OB actually was in the parking lot across from the hospital. He was at church and he got a call that I was at the hospital in an emergency and he came running in like his full suit and tie. And I remember him stepping into the room and he's like a really funny, like we could joke a lot. And I just like looked at him and was like, why are you wearing a suit and tie? Like I was so (laughs) oblivious to how dire the situation was. Um, And I remember like, I have scars at my arms from like where they put like IVs and everything in cause I was losing so much blood and I'm such a hard stick for like donating blood. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, you guys did such a good job. <laughs> I was just like making comments to the nurses right. and everyone kept being like, why is she awake? Why is she awake? <laughs> um, so they sent me down to the OR. Oh, so yeah, at that point, Brandon had no idea what was happening um, because he had just seen me like go off to the hospital. And I was like, I'll call you. I'm sure there's nothing wrong. Um, so the hospital staff called him. And sorry, I haven't talked about this in a while. So it's hitting me a little harder. Okay. Um, they called him and it was hard because a year before... Um, he had seen me receive the call of my sister. And it's like, it's hard to watch someone go through that call, but then it flipped and it was him getting the call. And they were like, they said, you have to come to the hospital as soon as possible. Your daughter is dead and your wife is dying and you don't have time, like she might not make it. Um, so yes. our boys were only three and five and he left them at home alone. <laughs> Because he couldn't bring them. And he didn't have time to find a babysitter. So he got in the car. He put a movie on for them. He got in the car and called his cousin. And was like, go to the house as soon as you can. They're alone. I have to go. Like, Alyssa's dying. Um, so, like, I can't even imagine how long that car ride was for him. And, like, he doesn't talk about his grief a lot. But, like, <laughs> for him, he said... Um, he like processed Anna dying almost immediately because it was such a fact of she is gone, we can't save her, Mm -hmm. that's like already said and done, here is what you have to process right now, like your wife could die also, so please get here as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, So he got there right as I was going in for the C-section to get her out. Um and I wasn't fully stable either at that point but they like they knew they had to get her out because I was bleeding so profusely. Mm-hmm. Um so what had happened is that my placenta had completely torn off the wall. Oh my god. Um but because she was so big and she was so soon to be like ready to deliver that her head was down and it blocked any of the blood from coming out. So With most abruptions, you have the sign of bleeding and you can get to the hospital and a lot of babies survive an abruption because they just deliver early and they get you out. Um, But with Anna, I think it had happened in the middle of the night when I woke up with the pain in my stomach Mm. and her body, it's called a complete concealed abruption. And so her body just held it all in. And my body couldn't clot and deal with the injury because her body was holding it and mm. it was all funneling blood to her. Um, so I ended up needing a lot of blood transfusions. I needed platelet transfusions, plasma transfusions, like a lot of blood. Um, and <laughs> like, I don't even know how to wrap up a story like that. And then we just went into life after loss and it was a lot.
0: (laughs) So these nurses are the ones that saved your life.
1: The nurses are the ones that saved my life. Yeah. And I was really close with some of them. Um, I didn't even know it at the time, but a lot of them found my Instagram because I would post and I would tag the hospital in the post as a location. So I, my nurses found me through that and my like best grief friend found me through those posts. And then we went to like the first hospital support group together because of them. Mm. That's
0: so Mm -hmm. great. Okay. Okay. So
1: (laughs) sorry, that was a lot. to No, no, no,
0: do not apologize. No, I, 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 I'm resonating, uh, similar, similar circumstances that we also went through because, where okay, so when you came to, were you? I mean, at what point did you find out that Anna
1: was gone right in the very beginning before all this went down? They t- they continued to tell me throughout the whole experience, like they told me before Brandon got there that there was no heartbeat and when Brandon got there, I kept asking, how is she? Is she okay? And he would gently tell me like, she has died. I'm so sorry. And then like five minutes later, I would ask again, is she okay? Like I just need her to be okay. So I think I was like in just a full state of shock and I couldn't process anything.
0: Okay. So when did, I guess your grief, so to speak, or you it hitting you when did that
1: finally happen I feel like it took like a couple days yeah um because I had lost so much blood so like I I couldn't even function like I could barely hold her I couldn't get out of the bed um I was lucky to like I had had a baby and I knew that I wanted certain photos with her but like never enough there's never enough photos (laughs) um so i feel lucky in the sense of like we knew we wanted like a family photo with her but we didn't bring the boys in and i'll regret that forever (laughs) um Mm. just because like they truly grieved her too and to Mm. watch a five-year-old grieve a sibling is like so heartbreaking like there was just so many levels to this grief of Mm. like I thought I understood grief because I had lost my sister and I had gone through all the stages of grief in a different way and it Mm. was because hers was an overdose there was like a logical side to it and Mm. with Anna it just felt like there was no logic to this and so none of the like stages of grief seemed applicable. And I felt like I was stuck in the anger stage for a lot longer. Mm. Um, so like, the grief was really hard, because I felt like I didn't really get to grieve her until like, we left the hospital. And that whole experience of what I went through was also put in the past. And like when I had to walk through our front doors without a baby in my arms and like do the things that I had done with two living kids, um, just like that's when the shock wore off and it finally hit me.
0: So you backseated your trauma from your own almost near death and your focus was, immediately was hyper on the fact that Anna was gone. Yes, or were you still I'm unpacking not- what happened to you at the same time?
1: I feel like for so long, and that's probably why I cry so much telling that story. I like, don't, it took me years to feel like, Oh, right. Like I almost died. That was like, it bothered me so much that my husband was so hung up on that part of the story instead of that our daughter had died. Mm -hmm. And it took me years to process that for him. Like, yeah, that was horrific. Like, he saw both of us almost die. And I only went through Anna's grief.
0: Okay. I think you and I actually have talked about this before. Cause it's, it's, it's like, what happened to us doesn't matter in our minds because our babies are gone, but it's something that we do have to process. I feel, um, because of the effect that it had on those around us. I think that was the main thing for me, at least because my whole family was like, okay, Brody's gone cats not in a good situation. So so then when you came home what was were you and your husband very different in their grieving cuz his mind was mainly probably about your well-being your what's going on with you, right?
1: Right. Like um so when we got home, I had like avoided coming home. I asked the hospital what was the like maximum nights I could stay and I stayed those full nights and we left like late in the afternoon. Um, and my boys didn't know what had happened. They didn't know that I had almost died. They didn't know that Anna was already dead. Um, so we came home. Um, and the day before I had gone in with Anna had been her baby shower. So someone had come to the house and like taken everything down and, put it all in her room and like shut the door. Mm. And it was a genuinely like a move made out of love. Like they didn't want me to walk in and see all of that. And like, yes, it was probably the right thing to do. Um, But I remember feeling like it was like already on day one trying to hide the fact that she had existed. Mm. Um, And like her nursery door was closed and it hadn't been closed in months. And I just remember feeling like, oh, okay, so like we're just going to try and like pretend like this didn't happen. Is that what we're doing here? Mm -hmm. Um, And all I wanted to do at that point was talk about Anna and like her birth and everything in the same way that I had done with the boys. Like I just kept feeling like I have already done this and I know what the experience is. And I just even if she's dead, I just want her to matter as much as they did. Hmm. Um. And then, and then we had to sit the boys down and tell them what had happened. Um. And that is like one of the worst things you can experience as a parent. And it's like I have just lost a kid, so that should be like top ranking. But to like break your own children's heart mm-hmm. is it is so awful. <laughs> And we had, um, like a child therapist come and talk to us at the hospital and they were like, Oh, you just have to be really blunt with kids because they don't have a concept of death, Mm. which makes sense. Like we're shattering their perception of life. Um, and she said, you can't say you lost the baby because they will think that you can find the baby again. Wow. So she was like, you have to use words like they are dead. And like, that sounds so stark to use with children. Like we bubble wrap kids and like try and protect their innocence. And then a professional is telling you like, oh no, you got to shatter that immediately. And so she had told us like, oh, well, if they're three and five, like they're going to be so little. So you have to use the word dead
0: when you probably weren't even coming to terms with that yourself. That's a hard word to use out the gate for us. It is,
1: And it's like, especially with society, it's like, if you lose a grandparent or like a parent, it's you say like, we lost them or they passed. And we have such gentle words. And then they're telling me like, I have to use such harsh words with a child. Um, and so then they said, like, oh, well, if they're three and five, like, they probably won't react, don't be hurt if they just want to go back to playing right away. Mm. But like, that's the normal reaction. And so we went into the conversation, prepared for that.
0: right
1: And the three year old, yeah, he was like, okay, like, didn't really understand it kept asking, like, well, when is she gonna come then? Um, and then he did like eventually get bored of the conversation and we let him go play. Um, but the five-year-old, um, he like I was not prepared at all, even though I had had someone come and prepare us for it. Um, he immediately started crying. And his first question was, if babies can die, can mummies die too? And we didn't tell him what had happened to me and so I didn't I didn't wow. even like know how to answer it because I'm like I don't want to tell you that I almost died too because you're just processing this new trauma I don't want to add another layer to it when you haven't even had like five seconds to grasp what is happening mm-hmm. um so he I can't even remember what he asked and I wrote them all down because I didn't want to forget but like he asked just the most genuine questions and was not curious but like so thoughtful and caring about Anna and like that she would still be his sister and like all these really beautiful things like it was a heartbreaking moment but it was so beautiful in a way Um because you're not supposed to see kids grieve so they grieve so differently than adults who have had time for society to like dull our grieving process Mm. and tell you how to do things he was just so innocently grieving and sharing every thought he had and like it's like so burned into my memory this whole conversation and then we just cuddled and watched a movie all night um Mm. but he continued like that whole year was just like he would stop and ask questions and we would have long conversations about grief and loving someone who's dead and like that your relationship can still grow and you can still love your sister. Um, And it was so like, I felt like I didn't wanna be around any adults. I just wanted to be around my kids who were grieving Mm-hmm. Because it felt like they were the only ones that truly understood it and were willing to like go to that place, mm-hmm. which is so weird for a five-year-old to be the one to be like, not mature, but like willing to have those conversations.
0: And have you continued to keep Anna's name? They do. They still talk about her, and do they? Does he remember this conversation? And have you had to have it multiple times, or? Um, yeah, we talk yeah.
1: about her so much that it's like it's not weird for them at all. Um, yeah. I do end up writing their teachers every year at the start of the year. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, just a fair warning. Like my kids have lost a sibling. Um, they are very vocal about it, and we are not ashamed about it. So I please love just be this. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, just be aware and just acknowledge that, like, he still has a sister. Like, to him, she's as real as Quinn is. And so, like, when they go to school and, like, always in the first week, they draw, like, a family portrait. And Anna is included every time. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I love. Like, I love that they can express themselves that way. Um, And all the teachers so far have been very kind about it. Um I don't know. (laughs) Maybe they feel differently, like, oh my gosh, this kid won't stop talking about death. Um but like like he'll um we believe that Anna sends us white feathers as like a sign that she's still with us. And they would like find white feathers and give them to their teachers when they were in younger grades and say like can you keep this safe for me until my mom picks me up because like my sister was here at recess. Oh my goodness! So, oh. Which is so like it's so touching and so special. It's so <laughs> it's innocent awful. and sweet, and
0: yeah. You know they yeah, have an insight like, that some adults can't even grasp. They they have a a comfort almost in being able to talk about grief and sadness and death, and adults hide from it sometimes and are so too uncomfortable to have the conversation. But your children are willing to, like you said, that's such a beautiful thing. The characters on these kids at such an early age.
1: Yeah. Like there's been so many times where I have to like stop myself and I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like, yes, I broke their like innocence and I hate that I had to do that to them. Um, but like, there's such a different kind of like heart that they have that I feel like, um, We'll just make them into such better humans Mm -hmm. as adults because they had to go through this kind of trauma and they had to work through it. And we were super open with them. We let them discuss anything. We like, he was given this book. um, I think it's called, we had an angel instead of a baby or something along those lines. And he hated it. Like just did not like it. It was a super thoughtful gift from someone but he told me it made him too sad. And so we just like got rid of the book because like mm-hmm. we'll like let you lead and whatever you do find comforting will lean into that. And whatever you don't find comforting, like this is your, like I'm not going to push that on you because I thought it was a really well done book. I was like, mm-hmm. you're not ready for this. That's fine. Um, but then like a friend got, uh, it's just like a pillow. It's not even like one of those weighted bears, but it's a weighted pillow to her birth weight. And like the kids would fight over who got to sleep with it at night. They still, it's been five years. They still find it comforting to just like lay with. And like, they'll have conversations deep with me and they'll just want to hold the pillow while they talk mm-hmm. about her mm-hmm.
0: because
1: they feel like it's like a physical representation of her. Mm -hmm. um but like there's stuff all over my house that represents her like she is just a part of our lives still and a part of their lives and like I thought because she wasn't physically here that they would move on from that kind of Mm -hmm. deep Mm -hmm. reflection especially when we did have another little sister I thought Mm -hmm. oh this is too close too similar they're going to forget that like they have another one, Um, but they haven't at all, like years later, it's still just like, she's just as real as Quinn is. I mean, it sounds like
0: you've done a phenomenal job with, I'm sure it didn't feel like that during the time, but having that professional (laughs) kind of guide you is awesome. And then the way that you have handled it, it sounds like, it sounds amazing. But like at the same time, what did it do to, did it put your grief on hold being able to have to show up for them and help them cope? What happened to yours?
1: Um, no, I'm going to admit that I was a pretty terrible mom that summer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel I, like it's okay. okay they don't think so. I was yeah. grieving. Right, yeah, right. They don't right. remember that I was a terrible mom. Um, right. But my husband had actually been, um, so he directs movies, which is a weird career. (laughs) Um, So we had already been in the process of, he was starting a movie in in the first week of July in Canada. And we lived in Nevada at this point. Um, And you can't stop a project like that, that has so many people involved. And so he, and he had to be there two weeks early. So like Anna was born at the end of May and in mid-June he had to leave to go to another country for two months. So really terrible timing.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, did you I mom did not- <laughs> <laughs> So first my dad flew in because um, my mom had stayed with us for the first couple weeks and then she traded out because um, my sister has a son and so mm. they're also parenting a kid. Um, so mm. they had to, they couldn't just both come down and be with me because they're raising my nephew mm. because his mom is gone. Um, So like super complicated, just like there was so many layers to this. Right. Um, and so then everyone kind of tried to convince me to come up to Canada where all of our friends and family are and they were like, we'll support you during this really intense grief time but people are just so uncomfortable with death and grief in general but like with a baby i feel like people just don't know how to behave or they they feel so awful that they don't want to like express it and make you feel worse. And I'm like, nothing could make me feel worse right now. (laughs) Like there's literally nothing. I guess if you took away another one of my kids, which was like my just giant fear. um, But that was the worst thing that could happen. And nothing else was going to touch where I already was in that state of mind. And so I ended up coming up because I wanted to give the kids like their normal summer um And it was so awful that I left early. Like I packed the kids in the car and I drove home and I was like, I can't, I can't mm-hmm. be here because everyone wants to like paint everything gold and like, let's just like go have a fun day with the boys. And I'm like, I don't want to have a fun day with the boys. Like, We would go to the beach and like the kids are playing in the sand and I'm like, Oh, last summer, this was like the best day ever is just being on the beach with your family. And I'm like, and this summer I'm sitting here being like, I would just like walk into the water right now and just keep walking. Like I'll just, and I'm like, it's not like I'm suicidal. Mm -hmm. I just not afraid of death anymore. Like I'm okay if we just see what drownings like.
0: Right. Right. Um, a lot
1: of people on the but outside wait. would be like, that's dark. We're like, I totally get
0: it. I, I, I totally I get like, it.
1: I was laughing so hard just now being like, oh, your response of like, right, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm right there with you is such a a validating <laughs> response because yeah. anyone that I was like, "Yeah, man, I'm just like thinking like if you just like sunk into the water and they're like, can we check her into a hospital? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not going to do it. No. I just feel like the piece of... Okay, so I'll backtrack a little bit. When I was laying on the table, I know I'm dying. They know I'm dying. Everyone's working to stop me from dying. I have grown up with anxiety my whole life, and, like, every anxiety stems from death. And, like, I don't want to fly on a plane because it might crash and I'll die. Everything checks back to death. Um And so it's weird to me that I have had a near-death experience. And in that moment, I was the most comforted and the most peaceful I have ever felt in my life. Um, I feel like (laughs) I haven't Um, talked about this side.
0: I did this. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
1: yeah. And it's so hard to explain to someone because like that, it's my worst fear and I was in it and I wasn't afraid at all. I felt like it is beautiful. I think it might, I think
0: it, I don't, I don't know why I just said that. Sorry if that was weird for anybody else, but for some reason it seems like it is a beautiful thing to just not fear the thing you feared your whole life, just even for a moment.
1: I think so many, and I think this is why people are so afraid of death and grief is that it is scary. Like we don't know what's beyond this life and there's no way to prove any of that um so having an experience where I felt like there was a moment where I was being torn in two pieces like you can either move forward with Anna um and you can be together or you can stay here with like the boys and Brendan and it, it was like a That sounds like the worst choice you could possibly make in your life. And I was just so calm about it. And I weighed it back and forth and it felt like I was in like this room of like, okay, like, what do you want to do? And like, no choice is the wrong choice. It's whatever you feel like you would like to do right now. Um, And for me, I felt like I moved a little bit forward to be with Anna and then I pulled back to be with the boys. And so like, it's like this torn feeling um, and then I just would like wake up and open my eyes and I'd be in the OR with Brandon and then I could close my eyes and I'd go back to that room and that space of being so comforted. Mm. And I don't even know why I got into this story. <laughs>
0: I Well, no, no, that's, weirders. that's, that's exactly, that's, it's resonating. I too, side note, did almost lose my life. I D I D I C lost a million tons of blood. Yes, uh, whatever. Anyway, I always forget that. This is seminated intravascular coagulation. If anybody wants to Google that, I stopped clotting. <laughs> I just stopped clotting. I was pouring blood from everywhere. So it was really You are so
1: good with the words. I was always like, it's DIC. And I can't tell you what that means.
0: <laughs> yeah. DIC. Um, and it's, it's it, I had like, I think it's like 50, 50 chance of dying or something like 60, 60, 40 of dying or living. And I didn't know that till later, but my point is, is that as I was on the OR table, Looking up at the lamp, knowing Brody was gone, I was at peace with if I didn't open my eyes back up. I mean, it is this seems dark, but for us to just chat on at 2:45 Eastern time, um, <laughs> this is it. Like this happened to us. But then I was like, I have to stay for Michael. He can't lose both of us. And so it was right. almost a selfish versus selfless choice. It's yes, it was okay, almost that's
1: the way to put it.
0: Right, like selfishly, I wanted to be with Brody. Brody's fine. Brody's in a better place. I hate when people say that. Only we can say that. But like, he was in a place of no pain, no fear, no nothing. Okay. Yes, Staying, and I do feel like yeah,
1: you understood that they were okay. Like, mm-hmm.
0: but we were not okay. Like, the, I
1: have to be with them. But like, right. yes, our husbands and like our kids. Like, I knew they weren't okay. So right. yes, I love the way you put that.
0: I mean it's so complex. It's so freaking dark, but to us, it was one of the most profound moments of our entire existence. And quite frankly may have changed us for the rest of our lives. Even, you know, that mortality, that, that realizing that you just may not wake back up. Not many people experience that. Yeah. And you show, I think, I think we could have surrendered and said, that's it. We're tapping out. And I think that subconscious or self-conscious or whatever it is would may have had an influence on what happened and the outcome. I don't know, but we decided to stay. And that means we fought, we made the decision to fight and to wake back up and get out of there. Um, with that said, how has it, so death of our babies, hundred percent changes us. How was your own facing mortality? How would that alter you?
1: Um, did it, I feel, Mm. yes, greatly. (laughs) I feel like because I, and I don't know what stillbirth is like without a near death experience for you personally. So like, Mm. I feel like it's really different feeling. And I struggled with a lot of different emotions than some of my other stillbirth moms dealt with. Um, because I kept having to come back and be like, Oh, right. That's only because I almost died too, that I feel differently than you interesting. Um, I feel like it took a long time. Like it almost took until Quinn was here as well for me to process like, okay, so my body has like really been through a lot this last year, like Mm -hmm. almost died, then went through another whole high risk pregnancy. Um, like it was a lot and I was finally starting to process that. So it feels like only in the most recent years that I have truly dived into the near-death experience. Um, And I feel like it's what makes my life really full and joyful now. Like I struggled so hard in the early days of like, I'll never feel true joy again, because how could you after losing a baby? Mm. But now I feel like I feel a different level of joy that is just not achievable if you do not understand how fragile life truly is Mm. Boom. so like it's so simple and I wish that people could experience it without the experience of loss or like trauma like that I wish you could look around and just be grateful for what you do have in the moment like I feel like it's such a simple concept to be like oh my gosh I have three living kids like yes I have a, a a, daughter that's died as well but like I am so truly lucky to have three living kids like they say like babies are a miracle and it's like no you don't really understand the miracle until mm-hmm. you have lost the miracle and then you start to realize that like it is a true miracle that any babies survive birth. Like there is Mm -hmm. so many ways it can go wrong. And I don't know how I'm lucky enough to have three of them here living. Mm -hmm. So why wouldn't I try and make just every single day as good as it could have been my last day? Like, um, the day before Anna died was her baby shower and remember texting a friend because I had been so deep in grief about my sister and I wrote my friend who understood that kind of grief and I was like I think I'm like truly genuinely so happy right now like it is the best day I've had in over a year and I'm just so like wrapped in this emotion of joy and then I would have died the next day. Like all the last pictures of me would have been just this triumphant, happy, joyful, genuine emotion. Mm. Um, and so I'm like, I want, that would have been an amazing last day of life is to have something just so big and happy. And so Mm -hmm. like, I feel like everyone should live every day. Like (laughs) it could be their last day because it is that simple. Like it's such a cliche saying, um, But I certainly, even as I was walking out the door to go to a hospital, I did not think I was going to die that moment. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, if people just understood, like, that's how quick it is. And nothing could have predicted it. Nothing could have given you a warning sign at all. So like every moment just should be like grateful just to be here.
0: Oh my goodness, girl. Yeah. So (laughs) profound. So profound. I mean, to seek out joy after all the things that you just said, you have been through some shit and you (laughs) still are saying, I'm trying to live a life where I'm joyous and there's light and there's beauty and there's because it's so short. You still have that mentality even after. I mean, Typically, mother people who have been through so much that you've been through are just like dig my grave. I'm gonna lay here. I'm never coming out. It's dark forever. <laughs> Fuck everybody. Yeah. You know, like it's
1: it's such. An... Not to be confused. I did do that phase. As you well. still
0: do, by the way. <laughs> you still do it. You have moments, which is totally fine. Like if you were all yeah. like balloons and and rainbows all the time, be like, girl, you lower your dose. Yeah, you know, <laughs> because. You have to have that balance, but you know, too much of one or too much of the other is just so unhealthy and not the way to do it. Like if you don't recognize your pain, your suffering, your sorrow, you you, you, that's going to get you later. But if you're too deep in your dark and your suffering and aren't allowing yourself to see anything more than that, that is way unhealthy as well. Finding that balance is the key to all of this. And you choosing to do that is massive. A lot of people would just be pissed forever at your life and your luck. I mean, it's luck. Let's be real. I don't believe anything was predestined. I don't believe the universe or God did any of, I think it's luck timing (laughs) and science. Let's be real. That's what I think. Yeah. And so you have just had really profoundly unlucky situations. (laughs) And then you
1: decided to go a fourth time. I can't even how. So I always equated that to, I was like, it's like, being attacked in the ocean by a shark. And then like the next day, just being like, let's go swimming. Let's go swimming. Yeah. And you're like, it's not statistically, you can still get attacked by the shark. So no one in their right mind, right after going through that trauma would be like, let's do it again. Like, let's just test how, how much we can handle. So you decided to try again and have a fourth knowing your track record.
0: How was that pregnancy for you? Were you like, eh, fuck it, I've already been through literally everything. What else could happen? Or were you terrified the entire
1: time? I was, so it was like, I wanted to be pregnant so bad. Wow. And that's why me and my husband grieved very differently because for him, he was like, I do not want you to get pregnant because I don't want to watch you die again. And for me, I was like, well, I just need to be pregnant because I need to experience holding a living kid after I've just held a a dead kid in my arms. Like, I need this. It is like in my blood that I can't function until I am um, like have another baby. So we were Which so opposite. That is extremely normal. Yes. Just putting that out we there. We were so opposite. And because of that, we fought so hard in the first couple months. Um, and I couldn't see his reasoning, and he didn't want to see my reasoning. And so it felt like, so we got pregnant six months after, and that felt like an eternity. Like I was like, this is the longest six months of my life. <laughs> I was medically not supposed to get pregnant in those six months. So like he had valid reasons, like he was in the right <laughs> and I was not, but I was so emotionally broken at that point that I felt like having another baby was the only thing that could help me work through all of these things. And to be honest, like, I didn't work through a lot of like the deep grief stuff until I had Quinn here and I could like breathe again and then I could process the trauma because I had done the one thing I needed to do. And now I had the space and the time to be like, okay, let's like dive into this and like really pull it apart, have really deep, long conversations about like why this happened why I reacted that way mm, like that is so interesting we went from like almost divorced to having a baby <laughs> and yeah. and it was like uh like I peed on a stick for three times and been so excited every time and when we got pregnant with Quinn it was the one thing I wanted the most and instantly when I got that positive test I was I was like okay well this just starts a ticking time bomb now Oh, wow. Um, and so her pregnancy was actually probably the easiest pregnancy I've had. Um, <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> um, and so like she was healthy, happy. I was put back on high risk, uh, monitored heavily. Um, and then at 28 weeks, um, <laughs> my husband went traveling for a film festival and he was like, do not Get out of bed. Don't do anything. Like just stay home the whole weekend. I just don't want to worry about you while I'm out of town. And so on that first night that he was gone, I woke up and I thought I felt the same pain that I had had with Anna. And I was like, nope, we're not doing this again. So I literally, it was 2 a.m. And I texted my one neighbor like, hey, are you awake? And she didn't reply. And so I packed up my two kids at 2am and drove to the hospital casually. and I walked in super calm and was like, Hey, I just need to be monitored. I told them my backstory. And all the nurses remembered me. Oh, wow. So I they like immediately were like, No, we've got you like, this is totally okay. I did get told <laughs> by the receptionist. She was like, Well, why did you bring your kids? And I was like, well, because I have nowhere for them to go. Like, I don't know if you know this, but like, some people don't have constant childcare. It is 2 a.m. 2 a.m. Yeah. Hello. I'm like, I didn't bring them because I wanted to bring two toddlers to the hospital. Unreal. (laughs) And she was like, well, if anything goes wrong with you, like, we'll have to call CPS and have them come and watch the kids. And I was like, great. That sounds like good babysitters. They sound like really well (laughs) background checked. So, like, good. Thanks for threatening me, but I am good.
0: (laughs) I am in my happy place. And in the pros.
1: Right, right. And so they found that I was going into preterm labor at 28 weeks. Um, They put me on some medication. They kept upping the dosage. I kept coming back to the hospital with more contractions. Um, And at 30 weeks, um, I went in and it was like, of course, like i had been in like eight times and sent home with more medication. And on the eighth time I go in, I'm like ready to go like, Brandon, I'll be back. Like, I'm just going to go there for like an hour. They'll monitor me. They'll send me home. Nope. That's the time they're like, we're going to keep you. (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay. So then Brandon instantly turned into like a single dad taking care of the boys at home. And from 30 weeks to 34 weeks, they kept me in anti um full-time monitoring. Wow. Um because I was going through so many contractions and I didn't know this, but um they can tell with if you're hooked up if you do have an abruption. So like I kept that monitor on 24 seven. They were like, you don't have to keep it on 24 seven. Like it's fine when you're sleeping. And I was like, nah, I'm good. I'll sleep with this belt on. Hell yeah. Um, the nurses were so incredibly thoughtful and kind and like they said it had been like just over a year and they were like we've been waiting for you to come back like we were so hopeful that you would get pregnant again and we would see you and we would get to be a part of your story in a happy wow. way and like that's when you realize like it's their job but also like it's not everyone has this weird idea that the maternity nurses are just like, Oh, it's the most joyful. Like you just catch babies and everything is happy. And I'm like, no, these nurses see horrific things like just heartbreaking moment after heartbreaking moment. And then they go and deliver the happy babies and they put a smile on their face. But like they are doing that in between all these other Mm -hmm. moments. Mm -hmm. So it was like, so nice to be like a lot of my friends didn't understand why I, they were like, Oh my gosh, that must be awful. You're like stuck in the hospital for an entire month. And I was like, I am so good here. (laughs) Like yeah, I sit here and I chat with nurses all day and friends come and visit me. And like, I know if I have to get her out in 10 minutes, like we are across from the OR. So So nice. yeah. This is the only time in the pregnancy where I felt like I could breathe. And like, Almost start to bond with her because I had been so afraid to bond with her before that moment. Because, um, yeah, when you like have lost a kid, then you know not only your reason why you lost a baby, but everyone else's reason why they lost a baby, and then everything just seems like okay, like I know the statistically, and I'm so bad on the statistics, anyways, but like statistically. I would not have an abruption again. I'm like, but that doesn't change all the other statistics. (laughs) Exactly.
0: We know too much.
1: Yeah. We know way too much. (laughs) Truly unbelievable. Um, Yeah. And so, so I was there for a month um, and she was fine the whole time. And at 34 weeks, I guess like the NICU is like, okay, 34 weeks is like a really good, like healthy time for the baby. (laughs) Like we Mm -hmm. just want to get you to there. Um, so I had a a nurse that I was very close with (laughs) and on the like morning I woke up on at 34 weeks, she was like, I think, I think you're like in a lot more pain this morning. And I was Mm. like, no, no, I'm fine. Like I feel fine. And she's like, I think you're like really starting to show some contractions. And I I was like, I had been having contractions, but she was so just like, I have your back. We're not going to put you at any more risk. So like I had two OBs seeing me and one of them was like, you're gonna go to like 38 weeks. And the other one was like, you're gonna go to 40 weeks. Like we're not delivering this baby. And I was like, sir, I am not going to 40
0: (laughs) weeks. Are you nuts? Why? There's there's
1: no way I can mentally (laughs) handle 40 weeks at this point. And so, man, I just, I love that my nurse was like, it's 34 weeks. So like, let's get going. And, uh, I literally just like texted my husband and was like, I think we're having a baby this morning. Like find somewhere for the boys to go. This time you have like a moment to not leave them at home alone. Right. Right. (laughs) Um, and she, so she was like my antepartum nurse. And so she's not a person that would go into the OR with you. And she was like, I just talked to the staff and, um, I'm going to swap in with the other, other nurse. Like I don't do this for many people, but I know you need somebody there that Mm. understands what you have been through. And so Mm. like, she was the person that like when you're getting the spinal tap and like you're hunched over, she was the person holding me. She like brushed my hair, like did so many things that a nurse shouldn't like, doesn't have to do. Like it was so personally caring and, like, made all the difference because, like, I didn't want to go back into the OR. It was the same OR that Anna had died in a year before, and I knew that. And she knew that, and she took the precautions to be like, we are going to make this different feeling for you. I'm going to be there the whole time. She played music. Like, I didn't plan any of it. She did everything. Like, she was such... Um. I don't know. Just like I needed her in that moment. yeah, <laughs> And it was oh, so wow. beautiful. Like, it's so nice when you run into like other human beings that just truly understand, like, that's the same thing Absolutely. as like the joyful life that you're living. Like there's things that you can do to make someone else's experience just that little bit better. And it took no effort from her. It was just her standing, holding my hand. And like I still remember the feeling of just standing there holding her hand and knowing, like, okay, we're gonna be okay this time. Like, I've got so many people around me. We're gonna be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and oh then my God. Quinn was born. <laughs> uh Quinn was born and we expected her to go to the NICU because she was 34 weeks. Um, but she came out like six pounds. Like the doctor pulled her out <laughs> expecting three pounds. He was like, we estimate her to be three to four pounds. She came out six and a half. And he was like, oh, this is a whole baby. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, So that like, she came out really healthy. um, And then she went to the NICU and she ended up staying exactly a month in the NICU. Um, Not for like anything specifically. She just like really struggled with the Brady's. Mm -hmm. And then would not pass the car seat test. And honestly, I didn't want her to pass the test. Like I was like, you are safe here. And if you have a Brady, I want you to be here. (laughs) I don't want you to be at my house. (laughs) Um, And so like, even then, like people just struggled with like, oh my gosh, you just spent a whole month in the hospital. And now you're spending a whole month in the NICU. And I was like, I don't care. Like, I don't care. She's alive. And that is my bar. And that's all I care about. Like, she's alive. I'm fine to drive the 20 minutes to the hospital every day. Right. If that's right. what it means to keep her alive. Like, if I had had that choice with Anna, I would have driven, like, five hours every day to see her. Like, I just... Right. That's all I cared about was that she was alive. And um, eventually she passed the car seat test and she came home. And <laughs> it was <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah. You told me that. You... you
0: because... Wolfie is still there. Um, five weeks now today, actually, but you were like, Hey girl, you got the best babysitters on the planet. He is safe there. Like work this. And I, it kind of changed my perspective <laughs> a little bit. Cause I was like horrified that he was there. It was not part of this plan. Um, and I was terrified of the NICU. Like before, you, I just heard so many horrible stories. I had no idea that like 90% of babies in the NICU usually make it out if they're past a certain week. And he was 32, like, don't four. Why, we,
1: why was I so scared I of it? I don't know why we tell mothers so many horror stories. Like it's a badge of honor to have a horror story about birth and the NICU. And like, they make everything seem so scary. And then I'm like, well, I have the worst horror, horror story. And you guys don't want to talk about that. Yeah, why is your story valid to scare another mom? But my story that I'm trying to share to like make sure no one else has to go through this ever—that's not allowed. But your horror stories are a fine, and they scare so many moms into birth and the NICU and all of that stuff. Like, yeah, I just remembered wanting you to feel like—and it is the same. Like, there isn't a lot of babies born after a loss that go through the NICU, and so you're like re-traumatizing new things and so i just wanted you to feel like like this is so scary right now but he's like going to be okay mm-hmm. and i wanted you to have somebody that wasn't like oh my baby was in the nicu and it was awful i was like no my baby was in the nicu and it was fantastic <laughs> highly recommend <laughs>
0: you you and michael were the only ones who were like let it let's enjoy this it's the first time like he's outside of your body he's totally fine now cuz it was scary when he was inside and, yeah because you don't trust your own body you're just like what the fuck's yeah. gonna happen now so I mean it is now coming to a close and I'm just like holy shit he's coming home like wh- <laughs> what no 24 7 monitoring oh god but um, I'm super <laughs> thankful and you even just told me right before we got on like he doesn't need the things he just needs you and that is just like those just one-liners mean so much they really do we know them, but like telling them to each other, is just like such a great gentle slap in the face that we need because we get in our own ways. We get in our own heads. So you have provided so much insight from so many different angles in this
1: like hour that we've been talking by the way. So I really think, sorry, I'm such a talker. I'm like, I meant to be like, I'm so sorry. We're probably going to run over because I just can't, not talk no, about everything
0: no girl no no the details that's the power in the details like you you may have just said one thing that somebody resonates with like you even just side notes here and there that you didn't even like focus on it's so important those details are everything to us we cling to details and i and by we those that who have you know stillbirth and babies die i mean it's so important that we have those details but you have taken a lot of different angles that i think are going to help a lot of people really just feel that they're normal in this space that, you know, they're not alone in this space. And I hope that people do reach out to you because you have such great insight.
1: I feel like and like, after experiencing like five years of grief, I find that even now it's like when I'm validated in how much she is still a part of our family, she mattered, the grief matters. It's the validation that means the most in processing everything. And I feel like that's why like everyone just wants to use those like platitudes of like, oh, they're in a better place. Oh, like all this stuff. And it's like that's really comforting to you who hasn't gone through loss. Mm
0: -hmm. And it
1: took a long time to learn that like they really are truly just trying to comfort themselves because they're so afraid of your own story. But like the therapeutic thing of like how I got through grief and the stillbirth and everything is that I talked to so many other stillbirth moms and the validation I got from them was worth so much more than any therapist or any kind of like grief counseling that I could seek out. It was just talking to other moms that validated and understood it. And that's the only way I got through it.
0: hmm. Amen, girl. You're about to get hit up a lot more, I feel like. <laughs> where can people find you? And you have a little shop, which I love. So where where, where can they find you to, t- to chat and to shop?
1: Um, okay, so I have a personal Instagram, and it is Lissables. It's like L-I-S-S-A-B-L-E-S. Um, but then I also started a crocheting and knit page, and it is called A Missing Stitch. Um, it's a dot missing dot stitch. Um, and it is a place where I like started, I was up all night, like every night, because your body is ready to process, like your body responds to the birth and Mm -hmm. thinks that you should be awake at night. Mm -hmm. And it's such a physical thing of like, I gave birth and my body is thinking she's still here. Like my body didn't get the memo that she died. Um, So I found myself awake so often from like midnight till 3am and I started, like my hands were just physically aching. Like I couldn't believe the physical side effects to the grief of like, they hurt because I'm not holding a baby. So Mm -hmm. I started crocheting so that my hands were busy and with crocheting, you have to count a lot. So you're, it like dulled out all the thoughts in my head. just being like one, two, three, four, one. Mm. (laughs) It Mm. was like the dullest thing I could do. And um, it became so therapeutic that I started selling um, the things that I was making and to make it more meaningful. I named each um, design pattern that I make after um, mine and like lots of my friends losses. Um, So each of the pieces is named after somebody that has been lost or somebody that is, a missing stitch in like your family oh my god
0: and they're so freaking cute they're so (laughs) cute you do such a good job
1: it's like truly just like I feel like a way to parent Anna in a physical sense of like I only have the shop because of her Mm -hmm. and like the first thing we carried was her name and like it has grown so much and the stories that I get from people are so special like I'm I currently opened for custom orders and everyone that reaches out it's just like I read their emails with tears in my eyes because it brings me back to when I was searching out special meaningful items that would keep their names alive like I just I wanted to name the hat after Anna because I wanted people to order like click on the Anna hat and then say like I wore my Anna hat today and I'm like Mm -hmm. it's keeping her name in people's mouths, and that makes her more real and reminds people that like just because she's not here, she's still here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um so anyways it has been I love it. Uh, yeah, I truly love it. And everyone who's like, oh are you gonna go back to work? I'm like nope, this is my work now.
0: <laughs> I think it's fantastic. I'm gonna link it so people can shop and find you because it's so special. And they're they're also really great gifts for people. Um if you don't know what to send your friend or your family member that has had their baby die. You know flowers great but like something special like that is really important that they can have their living children play with or they just can have in their room or with them all the time or even in place of them in photos like that's huge like we have a. We love to have something in our picture when all the family gets together that just represents Brody and it's so special. Um, so awesome. thank you for doing that. It's sometimes, you know, we think it's hard to jump into loss every single day or be reminded of it or talk about it, but that's how we parent. It's, it's literally the only thing we can do from here on out for the rest of our lives is do things like this.
1: Well, I just feel like, like, I don't even think of like, if I don't see my living kids on a daily basis, like my son was just out of town for a tournament. It's like, I don't forget that he like living a life and part of our family like everything is just woven together and even though she's not here like there's just there's things all over my house that represent her I carry a wallet that I was given in like a care package after she died Mm -hmm. there's so many like little details of her life in our lives that I don't think people are aware of like that it just coexists so perfectly Mm -hmm. and that's I do find like the items um and especially like when I name them after somebody that isn't my connection um it's so special to the families to know that like someone truly like loves your baby even though they're not here we are like supporting you by buying the item in your baby's name or like we know that this animal is special to your family so like we bought it and we just like want to acknowledge that like we see your pain and we want to do something like, mm-hmm. like it's just, it's so simple and yet it's so hard for people.
0: I know this, that's like sums up this entire experience. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's it's just so multi-layered and so complex and only kind of, we get it, but Thank you so much for doing this. I know we had to put it off for a little while, but I'm so happy we got to connect on this. And I really think your experiences, your story, your outlook, everything that you're doing really is going to help a lot of people when they listen to this. So thank you so much for being willing to tell it.
1: Thanks. Well, thanks for having me. I haven't had a chance to talk about her as a deeply, um, lately because it does just like get busy with life. Um, yeah, yeah, It's nice when like I can chat really openly with another mom like this.
0: It really is. You don't, You know, we never really get to talk about them like this, like you said, in great detail, but I'm happy that you told your story. I mean, it's out there now and it'll live in however long I can keep the platform going, but it's it's so special. And they'll, they, they touch so many lives in just their short little life. They've done so much, which makes us so proud of them. Um, And I'm proud of you. I'm proud of all the mamas that can tell the story and want to tell the story and parent the way that you do. I think it's just so special. So I thank you for everything that you're doing for the lost space. And I'm going to link everything you like you're everywhere. People can message you where they can shop and all that good stuff. So you'll be getting hit up hopefully a lot (laughs) all right well i'm sure we'll talk later i think wolfie's coming home on thursday i have no idea what i know i was like i really want to talk
1: about like all of that with you
0: (laughs) too you know what maybe we could do a NICU special because no one talks about it uh and and we're just so terrified of things not going right when we want to go have our quote-unquote rainbows when this happened i did not know what to do and so thank you for all of your insight on that and i think well we, we can do another episode on it because i think it's really important that we shed some light on what that experience is like. Cause it's, it's yeah. different. It's different, especially after death. So yeah, we'll do that. We'll, we'll make it, we'll, okay. let me get him home.
1: <laughs> and I'm going to be texting you. <laughs> like you can experience do? that. Yes. Yeah. All right. Text girl. me at like 2 AM when you're up.
0: <laughs> I will. I will. I'm pumping th- every three hours. I'm going to be like sitting there just, rrr, rrr, rrr. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> um all right I will I'm gonna take you up on that I'll text you or message you on on IG um but thank you again and um girl we're we're, we're, you've been through it and you still got that awesome smile so you're an inspiration
1: well thanks for having this platform and like allowing so many moms to just chat about it like this it's like like I said it's like the most meaningful thing and you're giving so many moms this platform to feel safe about sharing those things that they often get shut down about. So this is a really special place.
0: Absolutely. It's my way of parenting too. I love it. I love, we all have our little ways of doing it. So you're so welcome and we'll do more. It's fun, which is weird to say, but it's fun. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll talk soon, girl. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That's all for this episode of the At A Total Loss podcast. If you'd like to help other Lost Moms benefit from our stories, please share, rate, and comment wherever you are listening. Thank you for being the strong mama that you are. And remember, when things have you at a total loss, we're here to help you find the light in the darkness. Take care, Lost Moms.